Um, both the seminar after the break and the sermon are similar in one sense. Um, the seminar for afterwards is really giving reasons for uh, Christian morality, biblical morality, as we see from places like Hollywood and other influences like that around the world, that morality generally seems to be on the slide. Certainly in Australia, I've just been, you can see that's the case. Um, and so if we're rubbing shoulders with people in the world, it's good to be able to give reasons for why we have a biblical morality, how it's different to the world, how that affects marriage, sexuality, topics like that. So if you'd like to, I think we're just in a seminar room somewhere nearby. Um, if you've got time after the break, I'm sure you'll find that a useful time. And then in the uh, passage for today, for this morning, is similar in this sense, in that um, we've, sometimes, we've called the, the message, I think, on your sheet there, it says Hell's Bells. And Christianity has hell in it. There is the doctrine of hell. It's why we have Jesus dying on a cross is to save us. But we're not always very comfortable about hell and the fact that if it's, if it's there, we can feel uncomfortable about that. So I just want to try and give some reasons this morning on uh, its existence, why it might be there, and give a perspective on that which might be helpful um, as well. There's a bus in England. The advertising on the bus in England recently said said something like this, this advertising campaign in England said something like, um, so relax, God is probably not there, so why don't you go ahead and enjoy yourself. That was the advertising campaign I understand recently on a bus in England. That's kind of spirit of the age and talking about hell won't very much suit that. So just some thoughts about that topic this morning. In one sense you could say for the next 25 minutes, I plan to give you hell, okay? I'm going to give you hell for about 20 minutes and see, see how we go. Somebody said religion is for people who believe in hell. If there is no hell and we're all going to heaven anyway, or if there's nothing after this life, there's not a lot of point in religion. We could be going off to do other things on a Sunday, go down to a, a pub for lunch or something like that. Um, but if there is hell, then, you know, it gives a different meaning, different aspect to life. It's not a popular concept anymore, the idea of hell. I remember one author wrote a book, he called it Making It Hard for People Near You to Go to Hell, except later he got into trouble himself. <laughs> I don't think he's going to go there, but he, he got into trouble himself later after he wrote a book like that. But that's a good title, Making It Hard for People Near You to Go to Hell. Um, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a family where my parents were not going to church, and I can remember my father, who I love very much and very upright kind of person, but he would uh, make comments about the church, sort of defending why he wasn't going to church. And he, what he used to say, remember this, this term he used when I was growing up, which was, oh, they're red-hot gospelers. They're red-hot gospelers in the church. What he meant was they preach fire and brimstone, and they use that to scare people so that people will go to church because of fear. I think that's what he meant when I was growing up. So that was one of the reasons why he didn't go to church while I was, while I was growing up. So it's kind of ironic that these years later, I, might, I won't tell you how many years later, but that, he would, that I would be speaking on, uh, on hell in church because it's very different to how I was brought up. In fact, it's only been the last couple of years that I've even felt prompted about it and I've been preaching, I think, for about 30 years. And I think I've always been a bit shy on the topic. But um, I listened to a couple of preachers in hell and then on, in, in India speak about hell and they were not shy on the topic and it sort of uh, it challenged me. Bit of a definition, hell would be eternal separation from God and from God's love. I think there'd be regret in hell. 
think it'd be a long time to have regret, that awful feeling of how I wish things had been. Billy Graham said our primary ambition in life should be minimizing regret so that at the end of our life we could keep regret to a minimum. At the end of our life we could look back and have least regret. That was Billy Graham's approach to life and I'm sure hell would be a lot of time there for regret. I believe hell would go on for as long as heaven and really it's the absence of what is good. If I, I sometimes look at the word God and the word good and think they must be related words. Well hell by contrast would be an absence of what is good. Whatever is good that's in heaven would be absent or lacking in hell. I'm not talking about religion today. If you are perfect, you don't even need this message. Actually, if you're perfect, you don't have any problems. You'll be going straight to heaven if you're perfect. If you're like me, then you know you do have a problem with perfection. You need to be forgiven by Jesus, and that's why we're here. God and sin don't go together. They haven't gone together, although our world likes to make out that they can or they do, but God and sin don't go together. They won't, and they won't in eternity. If there was no hell, we wouldn't need, I mentioned this before, but we wouldn't need a saviour. The whole point of our faith is about the cross, is about Jesus, and we sing week in, week in, week out about a saviour and take communion. But if there's no hell, it's like tra-la-la, it's like, what does it matter? What did Jesus die for? We talk about being saved by a saviour. If there's no hell, what do you need to be saved from? So conversely, if hell is there, I want to put it to you this morning that if hell does exist and if God is fair, and I believe he is, we'll put it the other way around. If God is fair and if hell exists, then hell must be necessary. It must be right. It must be fair. It must be just. So if you believe that God is good today and you read that I read what we just read now and in other scriptures that we'll read in a little bit that hell seems to be uh, real from the Bible point of view, well, I try and take the view that if God is good and if hell is there, then hell must be fair, just, necessary and right. Some people prefer to look and say, oh, if hell's there, then God must be bad. But I take the premise that God is good and if hell is there, it must be necessary, appropriate real, so forth. Here's a scripture from Romans 1.20 just to get us warmed up. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been cleanly, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We see the sun go down and come up. It doesn't actually go down and come up every day, does it? The world moves, so it looks like the sun goes down and comes up every day. But that kind of order, the order of the trees, the order of the oxygen, the order of all the good things that we have, speaks of a designer to whom we will respond, to whom we will give an account. There's justice there, there's fairness there in the world that we are born into. But before I read you a long list of scriptures about hell, because if you're like me through the years, when you hear a preacher do that, he reads out verses about hell, you can tend to click off. We've got these nice switches in our mind and we can click, click, click on what we think is real or we want to, you know, maybe get the shopping list ready for this afternoon. And when we listen to some scriptures on hell, we can say, oh, that doesn't sound very nice. So we've got these ways of turning off. So before we do that, I want to try and give you some human reasons on why I think hell is probably okay. And then that, I hope, will help before we listen to the scriptures. Give us a, a better way to look at them. 
So let's imagine this guy in Norway gets himself down onto an island where there's a, a Labour Party meeting for young people. And he dresses up in overalls and he has some bags with him which have machine guns in them. And he comes into a room like this where there's a couple of hundred, 21, 22-year-old people at a Labour Party meeting in Norway. And somehow it gets to come up to the front. And he looks like he's a security guard making an announcement. And then he uses his guns to take the lives of um, 77 of the people who were in the meeting who were around about the age of 21. Not too long ago in America, a man walked into the first screening of the latest Batman movie and he had a bag as well. And I think he took out about 12 people who'd just gone to see a Batman movie. And so we can think of the families involved and what happens for the families, say, of the 77 people in Norway or in the Batman movie, the implications for those families, what do we do with that. The guy in Norway, you know, you see him on television in the court and he raises his fists and he's kind of smiling and tries to tell us about some extreme right-wing political message. And in Norway, they're nice so that in Norway, because they're nice, he gets um, 21 years jail for, because in Norway, that's the longest sentence you can have because they're nice. There's a lot of nice things in our world, politically Correct people, political correctness is nice. So for taking out 77, 21-year-olds, you get 21 years in jail. And because they're nice in Norway, it's probably a nice jail. Three square meals a day, probably carpet, I guess. And you could probably do an academic degree or something like that while you're being rehabilitated, something like that. So we need to be thinking of justice and how justice works this morning. Imagine a guy called Adolf in Europe... Austria, he was born apparently, got to govern Germany at the time of the Second World War and took out between six and seven million of God's original people. And then at the end, when he realized that he was probably losing, then he sticks a gun in his mouth. And, and so, so Adolf decides on the type of justice that he'll get and then he executes the justice himself for killing six or seven million of God's original people. And then some people tell me there's no hell, so that means Hitler has has killed himself and that's the end for Hitler. Or the other way is the politically correct tell me that if heaven's there, everybody goes to heaven. So you get to heaven and you're taken by St. Peter to your nice part of heaven. And St. Peter says, here's a couple of your roommates for eternity in paradise. Here's um, Adolf and here's some God-haters and Jack the Ripper and a few terrorists and enjoy your part of heaven for eternity with them won't you have a good time getting to know Adolf in your part of heaven or heaven or Adolf is wiped out is that what happens because some people tell me they don't like hell they don't like the idea of hell and so they say therefore hell's not there in India we had some of this as well um some men got in a boat and came down from Pakistan to Mumbai a few years ago I was in Egypt when it happened my family was in India and uh, they went in some hotels in Mumbai. Apparently 200 people lost their lives in the hotels in Mumbai. And since then, one man has had his life taken as a punishment for that. So there's 200 lives lost, and one man was hung in a prison in Mumbai. 
Here's a date for you. I only have to say this date. And I believe this date just blows us out of the water. That's September 11. That's enough, isn't it? Just September 11. What do you do with that? September 11 can make you feel quite impotent. Maybe God allows that stuff to get us outside the system, to get something beyond the system, so that we don't just think that how we provide for our own security is all we're supposed to do. There's some things that happen that are beyond our control. There was Muslims killed in September, along the day of September 11. I remember going for a drive in Sydney on September 11 just to see if the world was still there and if it was still safe to go driving. Even though I was in Australia, I felt like doing that anyway after I'd seen you know, what was on the TV. We had some in Australia. There was a guy a few years ago in Australia. Uh, His name was Martin Bryant. He decided he didn't like wasps. Uh, Wasps stood for white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And so he went into some restaurants on a Sunday afternoon with his bag of machine guns in Tasmania. And he took out 43 people. And we're nice in Australia too, so he'll be in a nice jail in Tasmania, maybe doing academic degrees. If there's no hell, what do you do with all of that? How do you bring justice in your world when your world gets violated by the Martin Bryants or the Adolfs or September 11? And if you can't do something with that, if you can't bring justice, if your world is spoilt by stuff like that, somehow your God is impotent, especially if you're saying that there's no hell. It all feels a bit impotent. But conversely, if there is a hell, it does make sense. It does bring justice. God can be in his heaven. Hell can be okay. And it can bring a right sense of justice for our world. And then we also need a savior when you're imperfect like me so that you don't have to go to hell like you deserved but you have the prospect of going to heaven because of the savior. So having said that, maybe then we're ready to hear some scriptures about hell and hopefully we don't do that clicking off thing in our minds when we hear the scriptures because they sound tough. Somebody said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. All right. Next time he does that, you remind him. All right. So here's something about his future. Revelation 20 verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented just for a couple of weeks. They will be tormented day and night for a while. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the passage we heard today, and besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So we're being warned in the gospel. Jesus seems to warn us. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, seems to talk about hell comfortably like it was real. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment, that's Hebrews 9, 27. It's not talking about coming back for a second chance, anything like that. Here's the best one, I think. If you've been asleep so far, this one's a good bit. This next one, I think, is one of the better ones because it helps for a number of reasons on perspective. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Into the the eternal fire, prepared for who? Prepared for people? Prepared for the devil 
and his angels. That's a very helpful perspective to me, that hell was prepared not for people, but for the devil and his angels. And I'm sure God is grieved when any human gets to go there because it wasn't God's intention, was it? God will that all men be saved, that none should perish. The fact that some people get to go there, I believe would grieve God and originally was prepared for the devil and his angels who deceive other people to go with the devil and his angels. Sometimes when I share the gospel in India, they get excited about the prospect of being forgiven forever. And then they come to this point, but they say, but what about my grandparents? <laughs> what about my grandparents? As though that's a block. I know my grandparents, I'm not sure for my, my grandfather taught me jokes about Jesus when I was a boy. I'm not sure where my grandparents or my grandfathers, I know one grandmother, I'm so, sure she'll be okay, but for my grandfathers, even one of my grandmothers, I'm not sure. But the fact that I'm not sure shouldn't mean that I'd make anything worse. I want to strengthen the things that remain, wouldn't I? If I know there's some good option out there, then I want to go for that and strengthen what remains, not be bound by the past or any restriction or problem from the past. Somebody said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Matthew 13 verse 42 says, They will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which doesn't sound good again gentle Jesus says this and if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell so Jesus seems to be real about it and serious about it somebody asked me one time if you smoke do you go to hell and the answer is you don't you don't go to hell if you smoke it just smells like you've been there you know just just smells like it. Just smells like it. It's not wrong of God to send. We put the wrong onus on. We, we, we blame God like it was God's fault that somebody went to hell. We've all got, uh, we're volitional beings. There's a fancy word, isn't it? We have uh, will. I can choose to walk to the left or to the right over 70 or 80 years. We may get to make a stack of decisions, don't we? So let's try and back off on the idea of blaming God that somebody goes to hell but rather we could probably put the onus on to us with our freedom and our ability to make decisions if I said to you at the moment if you'd like to have a holiday in the Maldives or Syria what would you go for Maldives or Syria you wouldn't have to pray about that much too much would you well I'd probably go for Maldives you say Craig you making me go to the Maldives I said no you got a choice Maldives sounds good to me. Syria doesn't sound so good at the moment. I, do you want to study that? Do you need to read the newspapers first before you make that decision? on your, No, I'll make that decision now on my next holiday. People say, you making me go to heaven because there's a hell. No, there's just a choice and it's valid choice. It's a real choice. They're real options and we get to choose. It's up to us what we want to choose and there is a saviour for a way out. And he's not just the saviour for Christianity either, is he? That's the other nice idea, is he's just a, he's just a saviour for our communion, for our faith. Actually, no, he's saviour for humanity, for the world. That's what he's saviour for. Sometimes I've had trouble believing in hell. Sometimes I haven't liked the idea of hell. But when I read Jesus, I say, I say to myself, this is what I say to myself at the end of the day, I say, even if there's a risk of hell, isn't that going to affect things? Even if there was a risk of hell, it would influence me. It might um, 
motivate me to be concerned about the lady sitting next to me on the aeroplane to Hong Kong the other night that I finally got to talk to after eight hours, took a while about Jesus. I'd be concerned about her. Even if there's a risk of hell, except when I read Jesus, it seems pretty certain. But even if there was a risk, I'd still be concerned, wouldn't I? I want to do something about it. I want to get involved. Especially when there's a way out that looks so good in Jesus. The grace of God, how do you get better than that? There's a way out. There was a poster I saw once and it said, there's two truths in this life. First truth, there is a God. Second truth, you're not him. Mm. And I think sometimes we need, you know, to smell the coffee a little bit. We say that, don't we? He who makes nice coffee. We need to smell the coffee a bit and get hold of some of the realities that we try and avoid. Like this one, a ship captain was sailing at sea and he could see a light in the distance. And so over his walkie-talkie, he sent a message on his PA system to the other, to, the, to where this light was coming from. He says, this is the captain of HMAS Adelaide. You need to move 20 degrees starboard or we're, we're on a collision course. There's no voice comes back. So pretty soon he says, this is the captain of HMAS Adelaide. We're on a collision course. You need to move 15 degrees starboard or we're going to collide. Still nothing comes back. So this time he's getting a bit impatient. He says, this is the captain of HMAS Adelaide. We're on a collision course. You need to move 15 degrees starboard now or we're going to collide. And then he hears some static electricity. And then he hears his voice come back and says, mate, this is the lighthouse. You need to move. It's sometimes reality is not how we like it. So oh, I don't like that reality. It's like, oh, I wish it wasn't like that. And so then we pretend it's like we, we pretend that it wasn't like that. So we do other things based on what we hope is true. I don't like the idea of hell. It's like, oh, so I walk off and become politically correct or something. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah said that. Jonathan Edwards in 1741 in America said, had a message called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. He was a Presbyterian. It was just a monotonous message, typewritten line by line. Just read it in a very monotonous voice, typed Presbyterian message. And at the end, there was pillars in the room and the listeners in the audience were hanging on to the pillars because they thought they might be going to hell. And we've gone a bit softer than Jonathan Edwards on the message. People say, what about the African tribe who doesn't know about Jesus? What about them? Well, the interesting thing for us is we do know about Jesus, don't we? So we could go and find the Booga Booga men in Africa if we wanted to. If we're really concerned about them, we could go and tell them about Jesus, couldn't we? But we actually say we're concerned about the African tribe when we're not really that concerned. We just want an extra way out. We want a back door. We want a different truth. People say, why doesn't God end the suffering in the Congo? Whenever you hear the Democratic People's Republic of something, it normally isn't, is it? Whenever you hear the Democratic People's Republic of, it's usually not. Well, in the Congo, God is going to fix it up. God is going to fix up the Congo and Egypt and Syria. The problem is the next time he fixes up, it's going to be a good fix up and he's going to do a good job. He's going to do a complete job next time. 
going to fix up everything. But the problem is he's going to fix up Hong Kong and Sydney and Delhi at the same time. That's the only problem with the next big fix up. So when we pray thy kingdom come, when we pray, God, why don't you fix up the Congo? And we judge God and say, God, why are you allowing the Congo to be like that? Or why are you allowing Egypt to be like that this morning? Then we have that tone of judgment on God. God can say back to us, I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to fix it up, but are you ready for me to fix it up yet? And I can think of one person called Matthew living on the south coast of the state I come from in Australia. And Matthew is nowhere near ready for the big fix up when Jesus comes back. He's not ready. So in that sense, I believe God's being gracious to the Matthews of the world when he's given them more slack and more time. Like there's probably a couple in Hong Kong as, as well who are not ready yet. They're probably some of your friends and your family. And when you're praying, God, when we judge God and say, God, why don't you fix it all up? He would and he will when he can see the timing's all right. But Matthew's not ready on the south coast of New South Wales. And there's probably a couple of people in Hong Kong not ready for it either. So when we say that and judge God, be careful what we're asking for. Because we may not be ready and our friends may not be ready yet. So if it's real then we need to be concerned. And Jesus said it was real, and maybe I should stop trying to discount that and take it at face value. I take the heaven bits, you know. I take the forgiveness bits in the Bible. I like those bits. So I want to take the hell bits as well and recognize that I do need a Savior. So does the world, and Jesus is the Savior, whether that's politically correct or not, and move with it and go with it and have some confidence to speak to our friends and people beyond about a reality that not only makes sense, but brings the prospect of fairness and justice to all history. I wonder if you could stand with me this morning. I wonder if you could stand with, could you stand with me this morning? Just while we're standing, as we, the musicians could probably come back and just we've got our eyes closed this morning, if we could for a minute. Even apart from the message this morning, if you're feeling like you're not really on center with Jesus this morning, it's always a good place to be. In fact, I think it's the best place to be. While our eyes are closed this morning, I'm wondering this morning if you feel like your heart's just a little bit off center today. And while we've got time in a place like this, we don't get many times in the week in Hong Kong like this. While our eyes are closed this morning, if you just like to bring your heart back and say, Jesus, I just want to be on, on center with you this morning. I feel like my heart got a bit distracted by Hollywood or something. And I just want to bring my heart back while I've got time and while I've got history. If you like this morning, just lift up your hand to God and say, God, I just want to be sure this morning. Somebody this morning say, my heart feels a bit off center. I just want to bring my heart back to God this morning. Lift up your hand and say to him, don't be worried about people around you. Their eyes are supposed to be closed. Thank you. Their eyes are supposed to be closed this morning. Thank you. That's lovely. Some, thank you. So that's wonderful. Somebody else this morning. So I'm just not sure this morning. I'm a bit off track because of Hollywood or something. I just want to thank. That's lovely. Somebody else. I just want to bring my heart back to Jesus this morning. Back on track. Center. Thank you. Get centered with the Savior this morning, the Savior of the universe. Just want to get back on track with His way and the important things that He's into and less on the things that I thought were important. Somebody else this morning. It's lovely. I just want to thank you. I just want to get centered with Jesus this morning because I'm a bit tired and I'm a bit suspicious of the media and the world I'm living in. I just want to get back on track with Jesus this morning, the Savior of the universe. Somebody else today. It's lovely. Thank you. That's great. Somebody else, people are still responding. Somebody else this morning. So I'm not sure. I just want to bring that heart back to Jesus and get centered on the cross 
this morning. That's lovely. Lovely. Father, you see the hands this morning. You see the world we're living in, Lord, and it's not always through the week, Lord. It's not always like being in Shatin Church. Father, you see the hands this morning that are raised. Pray you'd bless them. Touch them, you know, the point of need, Father. You know, the need for all of us, actually, God. And so help us to take the Scriptures with all the bits, Father. Because it makes sense, actually. So help us to take all the bits of Scripture, not just the forgiveness bits, Lord, but all the bits, and recognize that it's, it's all there meant to be treated as real. So we give ourselves to you, Father. We pray you touch us at the, at the moment, Lord. Touch each one, Father. Touch us with your Spirit, God. Fill us with your Spirit, Help us to be vessels for you in this city which is so strategic for your kingdom and for the world, Father. So strategic. Bless us, Lord. Give us confidence to move out and be confident today, Father, in all of the Scriptures, God. We commit ourselves to you afresh, Father. And we do that in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen and Amen.